what you want, when you want it, where you want it. This is The Mesh. Welcome to the Entrepreneur Exchange on The Mesh Podcast Network, a monthly conversation about startups and small business with ideas, tools, and advice to operate your business more effectively. On today's show, you have a great product or service, but you don't have a big marketing budget. How do you get the word out? Today, we're joined by Mickey Kennedy with eRelease, who will share some low-cost ideas for how you can get your message out by working the media. Plus, we'll share a small business of the month with you that you should be checking out. My name is Jeff Newville. I'm your host. I'm director of the Manufacturing Solutions Center in Conover, North Carolina, where we work with startup manufacturers and small businesses to help them grow, add jobs to our U.S. manufacturing base. Uh, I'm flying solo today. My my usual guest host, Gary, is not with us today, but I'm fortunate that we do have with us Mickey Kennedy with e-release. Mickey, how are you doing today? I'm doing fine. Well, we appreciate uh, you joining the uh, Entrepreneur Exchange and, uh, you know, my extensive internet research shows me that you're in Baltimore County. You uh, have feuding cats. You enjoy British science fiction and you have an unhealthy addiction to diet soda. Is all this accurate? It is. I'm sitting here with my diet soda as we speak. Okay. Uh, well, tell us, tell us a little bit about e-release. You know, what is it? When sure. did you get started and, and, and why did you start it? Okay, so um, I've uh, started e-releases about, uh, it'll be 25 years, October of this year. And uh, I had been working at a telecom research startup as employee number three. And I had a creative writing background, but that was good enough for them to say, you figure out press releases. And so I, I did, and I got really good at it. Uh, we published a lot of numbers and data that wasn't very sexy, but there was strange little anomalies throughout it. And like there was a Caribbean island that accounted for more uh, uh, telecom traffic between the United States back and forth than like all other uh, Caribbean countries combined. And it was because it was the center for 900 numbers back in the eighties um, and early nineties. And so I would, you know, bring out those little stories and nuggets and send them out as press releases to the media. And the media really responded. Well, we were getting financial times, the economist, Washington post, and it just seemed like so easy. And so I, I, I just thought to myself, why aren't other small businesses doing this? Um, I had talked to some small businesses and they just said that there was, you know, it's a roadblock. The one had won a national award and wanted to get someone to help them send out a press release, but they couldn't get any help because PR firms work on a long-term contract. And so that gave me the idea for e-releases. And uh, I, I spent about a year collecting email addresses and talking to journalists and asking if I could send them press releases. And, uh, and launched with about 10,000 journalists in my database. And today we've partnered with PR Newswire and, you know, we use their database as well. And it's got like over 1.7 million journalists and they're all together internationally. So um, it's, it's definitely changed a little bit, but uh, uh, I definitely I feel like I'm providing more and more value to my customers over time. 
That's good. So now it sounds like you, you probably started as a solo operation. Do you have some other folks working with you at this point in time? I do. I have about 10 employees right now. Um, but when we started, it was just me. And I agonized over hiring my first employee because now you're responsible for someone else. And if you have a bad month, you know, you face the facts of do you have to let them go? And I, I really agonized. By the time I hired my first employee, I probably should have been hiring my third. Uh, but uh, I was spread very thin and eventually I, I just brought people on board and, and uh, it, it's worked out really well. Uh, I, I, I can say that it did not come without some kicking and screaming because I am not a good manager of people. And it took a while for me to recognize that. And uh, in April of 2015, after having an HR consultant that I was friends with and a marketing mastermind I belonged to, um, she analyzed my business to figure out why my staffing issues were so bad. And she came back and said, it was me, that I'm a micromanager and I, I'm the problem. So I, I stepped away from the day-to-day -day operations in April of 2015. And the employees, uh, most of the employees that were there at the time are still there. Uh, I had previously been been dealing with turnover of one year on average. Um, and so all my problems went away when, when I, I stepped away from the business. And I think it's because as an entrepreneur, you want everything to be perfect. And wow. so you just agonize over every little detail. And it really is, you know, picking apart your employees and making them feel not confident in their job and not feeling truly valued. Well, I, you know, and, and, you know, we're, we're going to talk about, um, marketing and, and getting your message out. But I think that's a pretty uh, important point and important lesson uh, from someone starting their own business and that yeah, often people start their businesses, they have the technical expertise, but they might not have the, the management experience background and in, in working with people and uh, being able to take a step back and recognize your strengths and your weaknesses is, uh, is pretty significant. Not everybody uh, probably uh, wants to hear the message that you're the problem, or you might have a the you might not have the right skill set for for actually scaling and growing the business. But uh, you know, bringing in folks that can help with that management uh, uh, is really going to be critical for you to be able to continue to grow. Absolutely. So, well, let's you know, you know let's talk a little bit about about e releases. You know, when I when I think about when I think about press releases, I mean, I'm of an age where I uh, enjoy reading newspapers, although uh, a few and far between now are the paper kind. They're more the online kind at this point in time. I, I worry that my kids and, and younger people might not be always getting their news from newspapers, but getting their news from other areas. Um, so when, when tell us about who I uh, who should a small business be sending press releases out to? And, and hey, does that still work? You know, people still, uh, does that still get the right message out? Sure. Um, it does still work. Uh, during the pandemic, we did a press release for um, a nonprofit initiative called Dining Bond Initiative that was meant to help restaurants that were closed during the early stages of the pandemic. And uh, it basically, you nominated your favorite local restaurant. If they were able to get in touch with them and they accepted, uh, you could basically give money that would sort of be backed by a dining bond gift certificate. And the money would go directly to the restaurant to help them help pay their staff to, uh, you know, they, they, they were all stuck at home at the time. And uh, it, 
you know, is one press release generated over 150 articles. Um, we stopped counting because there was just so many daily newspapers, uh, smaller ones across the country that picked it up. Um, it generated in excess of $10 million in revenue, um, all from one press release. And so it's really hard from a marketing standpoint to say, hey, you do one $400 press release and you get 10 million plus. It's, it's definitely an extreme example, but it shows the opportunity of leverage. If you have something that's really newsworthy or really just hits the media at the right moment, it can do extremely well. And I think that that one did well because we were stuck at home. Um, we didn't have a lot of positive news. And there was a lot of uncertainty and we didn't feel like we had any control, but here was something you could control and do. You could, you could, you know, give, you know, 30 bucks to your favorite local pizza place down the road or something like that. And so it, it, it did really well. And I think it's a really great example of, you know, the opportunities that are there um, with the media, because if you, uh, you know, are sending out something that really resonates with the, the media, it can go really far. And it's not unusual for clients to come to me and say, hey, you know, we, we, we got a you know influx of orders as a result of uh, uh, some media exposure, or in you know one case, uh, you know someone gets a couple hundred visitors from one article, and they're just like, "But we got like sixty orders. It's like a you know sixty percent conversion rate. Is that unusual?" And it really isn't because when someone reads an article about someone and then clicks through to you, they're invested. You know that that article is like third party corroboration or social proof. Um, it's not like an ad. And so uh, there's there's uh, all this credibility that's created and this warm feeling of wanting to do business with this company they just read about. So often they'll just click through and buy. Um, so they're really great customers. And one of the things that you can also do is when that happens, you can share those articles with your existing customers as well as your leads. Um, there's always people that are going to be on the fence about using you. And if this tips over other people that, uh, you know, that implied endorsement of getting an article written about you, a journalist you know, picking you up, it could do the same thing with a lead. And also, you know, don't forget the customers are always routinely shopping around to see if they can get a better price or if the grass is greener on the other side. And this could be a big indicator to them that they've, they've got this, the right company that they're working with and they don't need to do that. So that, that's one of the really benefits of building credit, credibility through PR, getting this earned media. I, you know, I, you said credibility a couple times and, and, uh, yeah, I, I would think that one of, you know, if, if, if I'm starting a small business in, in Hickory, North Carolina, which is where I live and, and, and starting a service business that has a, a limited, uh, geographic reach, you know, uh, and I want to send something to my, my local papers, I would think that one of the challenges that, that you probably are good at addressing is how do you put a press release together that doesn't sound like an ad, you know, and, and, and creates that credibility? I mean, how sort of distinguish between not overselling and, and uh, you know, providing the facts versus uh, falling into that trap. Right. So you, you don't want to like come across as saying best company in the world without some some metrics to to define that. It's better to stick to the metrics like, you know, 80 percent of our customers feel like we're the best solution they've ever tried. That's that's a much better lead because it's backed by real data. Um, so, you know, journalists love numbers and data. Um, it doesn't have to be your numbers or data. Um, you can actually take public data that's out there. Um, if you if you have a product or solution 
for a problem in your industry. That's what you solve. Um, talking about those problems, like, you know, you know, 60% of people in this industry experience this, and uh, this is how our product does it. It makes it a lot easier for journalists to build a story. And at the end of the day, you have to recognize that journalists are story builders and the press release has to have the building blocks for them to build out a story. Um, one of the common press releases that we get at e-releases is a product launch press release. And often it's just, here's a new product and here's a list of features and what they could be doing to flesh it out and give more building blocks for a story would be to include a case study. Um, someone who used the product, tested it out, what their experience was, what was the goals that they achieved, uh, the results, and then get a quote by them. And all of a sudden, that a journalist can build a real good article with that. And so you just have to keep in mind that it's not always about what you want. You want to sell more product, but you also have to fulfill the needs of the journalist who is trying to be a gatekeeper and deciding what's worth sharing with my audience. I'm, he's, you know, he or she is very protective of them and they want to make sure that, uh, you know, what they're releasing is something that would be of interest to them. So, uh, you have to make sure you, you, you give them those, those building blocks so they can sort of, uh, develop a story. So I, I would, you know, we, we see stories and, you know, we can see in our local communities that the, the newspaper business is, is struggling and, you know, with uh, reduced uh, advertising and, and because of that, there's, there are fewer journalists out there. There's there, at least in, in news, in the newspaper land, there are fewer staff out there. So do you find that you're providing the building blocks and foundation for, press releases and articles or, or are there situations where if you do it right, they're just going to take what you wrote and put it in their publication? So most of the time they will write an article based off the press release. Um, exceptions uh, include a lot of local daily newspapers are more apt to use what you've written largely because uh, they're busy and it's easier for them to copy and paste, especially if you've written that uh, very third person uh, almost like a feature article. Uh, but all of your larger publications and most of your trade publications are pretty much going to uh, write an article. That being said, because they are doing more and expected to do more uh, articles uh, with, with less resources, a lot of them are leaning on press releases as a good, in, you know, a good place to find the next story. And in the U.S., there's really three major newswires. Um, we work with PR Newswire, which is the oldest and largest. Um, and so they generally check those places and, you know, look for stories in their industry. Um, you know, and that being said, you know, it is changing. Uh, you know, it used to be that, you know, the journalist access to these wires uh, was very guarded and it was only a member of traditional uh, print media. Um, but now online media, bloggers, um, even influencers, um, there's many uh, Instagram influencers that have journalists access to uh, the PR Newswire, for example, in the uh, fashion arena, uh, because, you know, some of these uh, influencers uh, have more sway and, and influence than, you know, a, a trade publication. Um, so it is changing. Uh, I, I watch TikToks with a guy that does a uh, snack update every week about new snacks coming out. And he'll often say, according to this press release I picked up, uh, this is a new product that'll be hitting the shelves in the mid-Atlantic area before it rolls out nationally. And so people are using it that you wouldn't necessarily expect. They aren't the traditional media, um, but they are a valuable resource because they 
communicate um, something that's new and exciting or different. And uh, it's, it's, a, it's a tool that anybody uh, in all different types of media, including social media, can utilize. So, so, you know, if a small business is, is saying, hey, we want to get the word out, we want to communicate with the uh, trade publications, we want to communicate with our local newspapers and whatnot, uh, any, any advice for them and how they should assemble a press release or articles, you know, what, what should they be thinking about as they put that information together? I think that um, the most important part of a press release is what you're announcing, and uh, a lot of people get sort of bent out of shape trying to make it perfectly well-written. And to be honest, a mediocre written press release, if it's very newsworthy, will do extremely well. Uh, I, I see a lot of well-written press releases fall flat because they really don't solve that problem of the journalist of how do I develop a story around this? And so, you know, lots of things that you can utilize or do um, to, you know, bolster uh, a, a, a press release would be, you know, having amazing quote in the press release that is so uh, well written and uh, concise and, and strongly worded that a journalist would be like, I could build the article around that quote, that quote, that's such a fantastic quote. Most quotes and press releases are safe. They're written as an afterthought, uh, but they really can save you from a mediocre press release. Um, other things that you can utilize are, you know, uh, sometimes being a contrarian on an issue. Um, you got to remember journalists are fair and balanced. So if there's something trending in your industry, um, like everybody talks about, uh, electric cars being good for the environment and you know this is the way forward but if you're the one person who raises their hand and says not so fast you know the the, the mining operations are an environmental quagmire uh, getting these uh, minerals to make batteries out of the ground is, is, is just terrible uh, from a human standpoint of labor as well as the environmental cost plus we haven't really solved what we're going to do with these batteries at the end of their life or you know maybe we should hold on a little bit longer before embracing electric cars so broadly, um, you, you know, it's a rational argument, but it is a counter argument. And so anytime a journalist covers electric cars, they, you have the opportunity for them to plug you in because being fair and balanced, they want to portray both sides. And often there's hundreds, if not thousands of people raising their hands that have the same viewpoint, but very few people raising their hands and saying, here's the contrarian viewpoint. Um, you just have to be careful that you don't take a side that would alienate you from your customer base. This podcast is sponsored by Jackson Creative, a custom communication agency located in downtown Hickory, North Carolina, specializing in online content creation. To learn more, visit thejacksoncreative.com. Jackson Creative, we tell your story. Um, I've, I had one person who took it as a mission to take every contrarian issue in his uh, industry, and he did routinely get picked up. But he also said that a lot of his customers were sort of wrinkled uh, by the fact that he was taking all these controversial issues. So I told him, you just have to have a balance. You know, the, the, the goal isn't to pick every contrarian viewpoint, but contrarian viewpoints that you can, you know, honestly defend and aren't going to alienate you from your customer base. Um, but there's also other opportunities. Uh, you know, uh, I, I have clients who uh, try PR and it doesn't work. And I always tell them that if you want to try one type of press release that will always work, do a survey or study within your industry. 
Um, it's not as difficult as it sounds. Uh, a lot of people, their eyes glaze over when you tell them this. And I tell them it's, it's as simple as, you know, going to SurveyMonkey, creating a 16 uh, question survey, uh, four questions on each page, four pages. So if someone stops halfway, you still have eight responses uh, to eight of the questions. And uh, uh, then take that link and share it with uh, either your audience. And a lot of people don't have a large enough audience to do a survey. Uh, partner with an independent or small trade association. Um, they don't get a lot of love or attention. And so if you approach it by saying, hey, will you send this uh, survey link uh, to your uh, members in exchange, I will include you in a press release I'll be issuing over the wire um, shortly after the survey has been conducted. Most of them will say yes. Uh, you know, they they really uh, don't get a lot of media attention themselves. So they will see this as a win win opportunity. In most cases, I have had a couple come back and say, could we co-brand the survey with us? And I don't see that as a downside. It probably gives you a little boost to credibility as well uh, for doing the survey. Um, probably does take a little bit more of approval because you they probably would want to have approval of the press release before it goes out. But I, I find this works extremely well. Um, if you ask really captivating questions that are timely, like what's going on right now in your industry um, and you know, what are the little things that if you were at a, a conference or a, a trade show that you would talk to other colleagues? Like, have you noticed that everybody, instead of being net 30, is taking 60, 90 days to pay? And they're like, yeah, I have noticed that. You know, that's a big indicator that money could be drying up in your industry. And, you know, those are the types of questions that would probably do well in a survey. Um, and then once the survey is done, you look at it and you figure out what were the big surprising moments in it. Not every question is going to lend itself to being included in the press release. You probably may want to focus on just three or four um, and provide the analysis with you, quotes by you, as to why you felt the survey probably skewed a particular way. Like, you know, uh, surprisingly, we found that 75% of people in our industry uh, don't feel good about uh, future growth and uh uh, of the industry. And here's the reasons that may be. And then you send that out. And on average, uh, customers, uh, my customers who do this often get between six and 14 articles. And these are unique articles written by journalists. And it's really a great way to sort of, you know, leverage uh, yourself as an expert and the, you know, the owner of this data. You mentioned the number of articles that uh, published. I mean, is there a way that you track uh, ROI, return on investment on, on uh, you know, the, the, the work that you do or, or just how much activity a, uh, uh, a single release might generate? Is that just uh, more anecdotal or is there a, there a good way to track that? There is not a good way to track that. Uh, there are ways to track it, but unfortunately, a good uh, clipping service will cost you two to three thousand dollars a month, and it's not unusual to write an article and have a, a monthly magazine pick it up in you know month four. So to spend you know twenty fifteen twenty thousand dollars for tracking of a four hundred dollar press release isn't very effective. But that being said, uh, I I recommend doing a Google News search using the date field, the date of when the press release was issued to today. So that will define Google News that's specific to when the press release came out. Also do Google Web, because a lot of media and newspapers and publications have opted out of Google News, but they can't opt out of Google Web. So uh, they'll show up there, same, same, same hack. 
search by the date that the release went out to now. And all of these searches are uh, websites or pages that uh, came into existence after that press release. And those are pretty good indicators of places that uh, potentially came from your press release. Um, one of the things that uh, customers do is they will um, ask people how they found out about them. Uh, some of them are really smart about saying that they got traffic from certain pages and uh, can associate uh, conversions from that using like Google Analytics or other types of tracking and stuff like that. But it is a little more difficult uh, to track with PR because you don't get to use a tracking URL uh, because journalists don't generally recognize that. They'll just use your, use your domain name or a product page or something like that when they do link to you. And it's also not unusual for the media to not link to you at all. I think the New York Times rarely links to anybody. The same with Wall Street Journal and these other places. But that being said, if someone reads an article about you and they do a search for you, they're likely going to find you. And if they're not, because you know uh, that your company is one of those that has a generic sounding name, it's probably a good idea to uh, advertise on your brand name. Uh, uh, around the time that you issue the press release so that people will find you if they do a search for you. Yeah, you, you talk about linking back to websites and, and whatnot. I mean, how, how does the how, how do you work with people to connect the press releases to to their their digital sites or social media? You know, how does how how, how should that work together? Right. So um, I, I feel like anytime you issue a press release, um, you should share that with your audience, um, you know, your your own social media, uh, put it on your website. I always encourage customers to have their own newsroom on their website, but I recognize that a lot of small businesses, it's a too big of an ask to redesign their website. So if you have a blog, that's a good place you could just add your press releases to as well, rather than not having it on your website. I mean, it's content rich, uh, keyword rich uh, pages. And you're the author of it because it's originating from you. So um, you, you won't be dinged for it being duplicate content on the internet for that reason. Um, but it, it's really a good uh, good thing to share. And as you get articles uh, or media pickup, you want to share that on your social media. You want to share that with your customers and your leads. Um, you want to get it out there to as many people as possible. And it, it works, you know, synergistically, you know, uh, what the, the same uh, access that you got to new customers and new audiences through uh, those articles. You can also use that to create that same goodwill with your existing leads and customers. I, I, I know one of the things that um, you, you, you've mentioned uh, is honing your unique selling proposition to, to focus on coverage, which, yeah, again, trying to find ways to distinguish your business from your competitors. I mean, how do you, when, when you work with clients, when you work with customers, how do you uh, help them with that and, and recommend that they, they focus themselves a bit? Right. So uh, I, it's funny. I, when I have the conversation with some of my clients, uh, some of them come back and say, I don't, we don't really have a unique selling proposition. We sell product X and there's lots of resellers that sell product X, but we just happen to do it. And I'm just like, well, <laughs> that's a terrible uh, situation for you. <laughs> Not a great uh, business model. Yeah. No, because all of a sudden people are only going to compete on price if you're just a commodity. And so, you know, and, and some of these people, it turns out aren't commodities. They just don't take into account like, well, 
unlike the other resellers, we provide, you know, online training and we have a video library of how to use these products and best practices and stuff like that. And I'm like, well, that, that gives you an edge that can be a unique selling proposition. If someone was looking at just buying it from company A and you, uh, that would definitely make them more likely to use you. And so you really want to create a, uh, a, something that you do that's a little bit different than everybody else and own that and put a moat around it, protect it, and and make sure that you communicate that uh, to your customers and to your leads as well. Um, I, I, I do think that, uh, you know, as, as far as also owning your story, um, the media responds very well to, uh, you know, founder stories, how a company came into being, how a product came into being. Um, if you ever watch Shark Tank, you'll know that uh, one of the things they talk about is, here's my story. Here's how my business came to be. Here's how this product came to life. And it's because people really like that journey, that personal journey of people. And so that's another opportunity to incorporate into your company story, um, your personal story, and uh, be authentic while sharing something that uh, people resonate with. Um, I, I uh, had one client that had an embarrassing story where they got caught off guard by a promotion that they did and they had to cancel Thanksgiving and have the whole family, uh, you know, putting packages together to go out, uh, Monday morning when, uh, mail reopened. And, uh, it, it was something that I had encouraged them to put in their press release and they did. And it became the lead story or anecdote in a story about them in Inc magazine. And I don't think it would have happened without that. And if you notice reading Inc. magazines and a lot of these entrepreneurial publications, you'll see a lot of them will talk about the journey, the story, the obstacles, the vulnerability, the, you know, the things that someone overcame or had to deal with. And I think it's because we, you know, as readers or an audience, we, li we like those, we respond to those. It's the human interest thing that sort of, you know, uh, creates this this feeling within us and i think that that's really powerful and a lot of people just take it for granted yeah yeah i i, I hear what you're saying and that uh, it really can humanize a company a story and and uh, you know take it out of a little bit of that third person generic uh, you know here's the news we're just going to read it. it it really personalizes it so i say i think that sounds good um now you're yeah, uh, I, I guess I'm going to call you a small business owner. It sounds like obviously you've you've grown uh, uh, since your inception, uh, but um, you know what? As you, know, you you've had to to work through some some challenging times for our country, just with the pandemic and everything. You know, just from a small business owner perspective, uh, what sort of challenges have you faced, and you know what sort of advice can you give to to our listeners in in managing a small business? I think for me, uh, I was not from a business background. I came from a creative writing background. And so everything about business was sort of new to me. Um, I found out, uh, I, 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 I did Google ads and I would put up an ad and after like seven clicks, I'd be like, eh, it's not working. And I just change it. And, uh, uh, I, I was just loose and goose and using my gut instinct and I was all over the place. And uh, I found a, a marketing group the, that I joined and I started learning stuff like, you know, statistical relevance that, you know, you can't judge an ad until you've had a certain number of click throughs and a certain number of uh, conversions uh, before you can really understand if it is a winner or not. And so I started, uh, you know, being more, uh, I guess, mathematically inclined and looking at the data 
Uh, I discovered the concept of A-B split testing where you have two landing pages when there's like one minor difference between the two and then you pick the winner and then you keep refining it and getting it better. I started doing that with other aspects of my business that had nothing to do with marketing. Um, you know, uh, we, we, we were sending a shock and awe package uh, to new customers and it was like all this crazy stuff, Baltimore, uh, you know, uh, crab flavored chips, uh, Edgar Allan Poe action figure, just a lot of fun in a box is how I describe it. It was like $60 worth of stuff. And I felt like it was going to make a great impression. Uh, but someone told me that they found it a little not unprofessional. And rather than get angry or offended by it, I spent six months sending new customers that or uh, just a book and a welcome letter. And then we measured the, the value of these two populations. And what we found out is after uh, a, a year uh, it, it looked like the people who received the book were uh, the value of them was much higher. And at the two year and three year mark, it was like two to three times the amount of value uh, as the other one. So it was true. And rather than be offended, I was just like, I don't know, let's test it. And so try to test a lot of little things in your business uh, workflows. If you feel like this is the way uh, to onboard a customer uh, maybe there's two, you know, a couple of suggestions of alternate ways, and you could just test those two populations and see if it does make a difference. Do one does one population become a better customer as a result of their journey? So if you feel like, hey, I feel like if we hold their hand and call them and do a lot of follow up and provide a lot of training and stuff with one population and the other one, we just sort of let them loose and maybe send them to a, a video resource if they have questions or are looking for things. Uh, it, it, is it that most people can be disciplined enough to do it themselves and the spend is, you know, the revenue is the same or is there a difference? And uh, I, I, I try to do little things like that throughout my business where, um, you know, I, I, I don't get offended. I, I just, uh, you know, learn and move on. And I think that yeah. that's why when I found out I was a micromanager, it couldn't help myself that I, I just took it as uh, as it came and, and just adjusted accordingly and put myself out of the equation. Well, I, you know, I, I think uh, you know, not taking offense to some of the results that you, you, know, you you put ideas in place, you think they're going to work. Sometimes they do, sometimes they don't. And not getting upset about it uh, when they don't and actually learning from it is, uh, yeah, that's, that's, that's a great lesson, a great lesson there. And I'll say if you, if you do have any of the Edgar Allan Poe action dolls left over, you know, I'd, I'd be interested in securing one. We can, we can talk about would, that later. Yeah. So, well, look, Mickey, we really, I, I really appreciate uh, you joining us today. We, we like to do a little uh, lightning round with our, our guests. Would you be uh, up for some, some quick questions, quick answers that might not be as business oriented? Yes, I would. Okay. Well, this, uh, this month's lightning round is uh, sponsored by Ned Ryerson Insurance. Whole life, auto, flood, you can't have enough insurance? Check out Ned Ryerson Insurance on the internet. So I'm going to ask some Throw some quick questions at you. Don't overthink it. Here we go. Mickey, what is your biggest pet peeve? Um, I think people who don't value your time, uh, people who are late or just no show. That can be pretty rude. I'm with you on that. What toppings do you put on your pizza? I am a pepperoni and onion guy. Where do you stand on pineapple? I'm neutral. I've had I've had you know Hawaiian pizza that's good, uh, but I, it's not something that I would seek out often. 
Beatles, Rolling Stones, or Taylor Swift? I'm going to say Beatles. It's hard to go wrong there. Uh, do you have an, a, a go-to adult beverage? Uh, gin and tonic. Harry Potter, Star Wars, or Godfather movies? Star Wars. Last question for you. If you could have one superpower, what would it be? Um, read people's minds. Okay. That, you could be a dangerous man. <laughs> uh, Mickey, thank you so much for joining us. If people want to find uh, e-release, where should they be looking? So uh, the website's ereleases.com. All of our social media is on the lower right. Um, I do have a free masterclass that's an hour-long video tutorial about doing an audit and determining what kind of strategic types of press releases you could be doing as opposed to the normal releases that don't work. And it's at ereleases.com slash plan, P-L-A-N. And again, it's completely free. Oh, super. Well, I hope people will be checking that out and, uh, you know, some, some really good thoughts there, not only on press releases, marketing, but just some, some good uh, thoughts on running your own business there. So Mickey, appreciate you joining us today. Before we uh, wrap up, uh, I want to give a, sh a shout out to a small business that uh, I came across recently, I had a chance to tour their facility something that we don't think about that often, or at least I don't think about that often, is shoelaces. And I went to a company that's uh, here in my hometown called Hickory Brands Incorporated, which recently celebrated their 100th anniversary. They started in 1923. Uh, they are an innovative manufacturer of all sorts of shoelaces, and they're getting into different types of apparel, but they uh, do everything uh, from fashion, accessories, do athletic laces, military laces, other technical type things. Uh, they proudly manufacture in the United States, and they have partnered with numerous global brands, including New Balance, Adidas, Puma, Under Armour. Uh, they also do their own brand that they sell at retail. Uh, as mentioned, they started in 1923 manufacturing a product called the Old Hickory Shoelace, and they are one of the very few remaining domestic cord webbing shoelace manufacturers. Uh, you can check them out at www.hickorybrands.com. So give it a look when you have a chance. If you have a suggestion for our small business of the month, please, uh, you can email them to us at eexchange at the mesh.tv. If we use your small business of the month, we'll give you one of our prize packs. Can't promise the Edgar Allan uh, Poe action figure. That would be, that'd be over the top, man. But, uh, Anyway, Mickey, thank you again. Appreciate you joining us. We want to thank the Mesh Podcast Network for hosting us. You should go to themesh.tv. You'll see the, the whole network of uh, brands uh, of shows that we've got out there. So please check that out. And we look forward to talking to you again next month. Take care. been listening to The Mesh, an online media network of shows and programs ranging from business to arts, sports to entertainment, music to community. All programs are available on the website as well as through iTunes and YouTube. Check us out online at themesh.tv. Discover other network shows and give us feedback on what you just heard.